0: So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible, Philippians chapter 2, you can turn that way. Turn your iPad on, your phone on, Philippians chapter 2. And as you get there, I'm going to tell you the the purpose and the direction of this message, and then we'll stand and read it together. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. My hope in this passage is not only for God to be glorified through the preaching of the word, but to see for you to see that God is in the process of growing you. So pursue Him and glorify Him without complaining so that you might be a light to the world. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read the word together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, But much more, in my absence, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, you are good and worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. Lord, we pray as people see us, Lord, that they would see you Lord, that they wouldn't marvel at us, but they would marvel at you working through and in our lives. Lord, as we're going to talk about in just a minute, and Lord, as as we're going to discover in your word, I just love Matthew 5 that talks about that people could see our good works and in in turn glorify you in heaven. And that's what we live to do. We live to glorify you and live to see other people glorify you. Uh, I pray for these graduating students, Lord, that, As they go into the world, Lord, that they would live for that purpose to glorify you, that they would be distinct. Lord, not in the way that they separate themselves from the world as in retreating, but in the way that they live, in the way that they look, in the way that they speak. Lord, for your glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. So uh, as we're looking into the verses, Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 18, if you would for me, uh, you received uh, kind of an insert in your worship folder. You can just put that next to the text. Um, but hear me before anything else. That is just something I've put together for you to follow along. It is not the scripture itself. So make sure you, you test everything um, on that, that pamphlet with the word of God. So would you look at it with me? Number one, and I'm gonna go ahead and give you that fill-in as we look in the Word of God together. Work out knowing God is working. Knowing God is working. Verse 12 starts out like this. Therefore, my beloved... I think it's interesting because if you look at the letters of Paul, you, you know that in the New Testament, as he wrote, there were, um, he, he was friendly with many uh, in different churches, but Philippi was distinct in the way that he loved them. And I think it says the beginning of Philippians chapter 1 that he um, is joyous when he remembers them. Um, the end of Philippians chapter 1 talks about the fact that they are sharing the gospel and he is pleased in that. Um, He tells them to to continue on going forward sharing the gospel. And in chapter 2, he talks about doing so in one mind, unified, remembering the humility of Christ as you do so. He's very thankful for this church. There are other churches that you see um, that he had to kind of chastise a little bit. Galatians, uh, for example, he said, I'm so astonished that you've so quickly deserted the gospel that I preached to you. But the Philippians are a church that he remembers and loves. And he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. What's interesting to note here before we really move into the meat of the text is that he commends the church before he commands the church. He exhorts them before he, or he encourages them before he exhorts them. Um, Something interesting about that, if you're a parent of, uh, maybe a a sports parent, right, Uh, and you go to a basketball game or a football game, do you ever say, come on? you got this. Or, go get it. I know you can do it. Right? You're encouraging them as you're commanding them. You have full faith and confidence in them, but you don't want them to stop. Right? You want them to keep going. So I ran, uh, just a little bit about me, I ran cross-country in high school. um, And cross-country is distance running. And our high school was particularly known for its cross-country program. Um, uh, not that I was any good, but our our coach was uh, a very well-known coach, Um, and I think of the 40 years that he's been there, I'm estimating a little bit here, he's won like 30 state championships, and a few times they've been nationally ranked, and I'm not from uh, a city of 3.4 million, right, a city of 10,000, and so this was kind of Cross-country was the way to go, and so uh, our coach would have us run every morning, 364 days out of the year. Christmas was our day off, and we'd run somewhere between 8 and 12 miles in the morning, and in the evening, right after school, we'd run somewhere between 4 and 8-ish in the afternoon. It was expected of us. We just did that. Um, But no matter how much you train in running, running's always a tiring thing. And so when you race uh, a 5K or when you race uh, a 10K or whatever you're racing, um, you recognize that no matter how you've trained, it's tiring. It's tiring. It just is tiring. So I still remember in my cross country career, which is long gone now, by the way, in my cross country career, there would be parents along the sidelines. Right, as you're running, you, you run through puddles, you you run through cross terrain, but there's always parents along the sidelines. And they say something like this You're doing a great job, but don't stop. You're doing a great job, but don't stop. Keep on going. Remember my parents saying that to me. You're doing good, just, just don't stop what you're doing. Why do you think they say something like that? Because though, it might, though you might be in tip-top shape and you might feel good at the beginning of the race, there comes a time in the race, if you know anything about distance running, where you hit a wall and you can tell yourself, okay, I can slow down right here, right? My coach might not be by me because this is a distance and I can, I can tell myself, I'll slow up right now. My coach isn't nearby, Right. I think the Christian life is very similar to marathon running, especially more similar to marathon running than it is a sprint. There comes a time where you feel like you've done very, very well, right? You've been attending church, you, 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 you know the Word of God, you grew up in Sunday school, you know the Sunday school answers, you've, you've been faithful. But if you stop for a minute and look back how faithful you were, you might, might just say, I'm good for now. But Paul wants them... As he's telling them, you're doing great, but keep on going. And he says this, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot here, and we're going to have to take it slow. So let me just say first, when we're defining what salvation is, um, looking in the text and, and, and following along with me, salvation Is a free gift of God, right? Salvation uh, is not something that I have attained, earned, achieved by my own power, by my own work. I can't stack up my good deeds and make my way to heaven. Salvation, as the scriptures speak, is when we are saved by God from the wrath of God for the sin that we have lived in and for the sinful nature that we have. So, um, in essence, just going back for a minute at the beginning of the Bible, and many of you know this, but I want to remind you that God created, of course, man and woman, and they um, uh, were to live in his presence in the Garden of Eden. And, of course, you know God gave them one rule, and they broke it. They disobeyed God. They sinned against God. And for that sin, they were separated from God from that point on. And since then, we have, two sinned. We have a sinful nature. Sin entered the world at that moment. We have been separated from God. God gave us commands. We couldn't live up to them. No one is righteous. No, not one. Paul even says in Romans chapter 7 that um, uh, the law is good, holy, and perfect. It is from the Lord, but it tells me that I am not good, holy, and perfect. So we all fall short of the glory of God, but it was God's great love that sent his son down to die on the cross for our sin. The gospel could be summarized in this way, Jesus in my place. Isaiah 53 said that Jesus bore the iniquity of us all. Literally, in our place, God's wrath was poured out on his son, and so that you and I who trust in Jesus don't receive the due penalty of our sin, rather because we don't receive the due penalty of our sin because Jesus received it in our place. You might have consequences to your sin, but you don't receive the punishment Jesus did in your place. You've been saved. Undeserving saved. So this is what he says. Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Now there's two terms that we use to refer to what God has done in our lives and what God is doing through our lives and personally. And I think it would be helpful to kind of define those terms, even though they're kind of big words and they're not um, words that we necessarily need to talk uh, and, and use all the time. They're words that need defining, and I think they would be helpful in understanding this passage of Scripture. Those two words are these sanctification and justification. Justification and sanctification. Why is that important? Justification and sanctification. This is why. Sanctification is a believer's, you and I's, lifelong process of growing more like Christ, growing more Christ like. It's lifelong. The process of sanctification is different from the position of justification. Justification is a believer's right standing before God because of their faith in him, right? When I trust in Jesus Christ, it is just as if I'd never sinned. You may have heard it said like that before. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. So when I trusted in Christ, um, walked the aisle, right, and and, and, uh, said the sinner's prayer, whatever it might have been in your story, God, when he saw me, saw his son, Jesus, who had died for my sin, right, who paid the penalty for my sin, and I know from that moment on, if I was to die, and I was to stand before God, I would be welcomed into his heavenly kingdom forever and ever, just as if I'd never sinned, been justified through faith, by grace, but sanctification is an ongoing process into which when you have given your life to the Lord, God's not done with you at that point. He wants to still work in your life, amen? He's still got a lot for you. Sanctification is that, as I already mentioned, lifelong process of growing more like Christ. And so you'll see in your notes, and I wrote this down, while justification is a position, sanctification is a process, While justification is a position before God, sanctification is a process of God working in your life and you growing more like Christ. That sounded heady and sounded big, but there's a reason for it. I bring this to your attention because when Paul says work out your own salvation, he is not saying or exhorting the believers to work for their salvation. Nah, he's not doing that. He's talking to believers who've been justified just as if they'd never sinned. They've trusted in Jesus Christ. And he's commanding them, exhorting them, work out your own salvation. He's saying, keep on pursuing the Lord of your salvation, not, trying, not keep on pursuing salvation in, in order to attain it. The text does not say, as you see in your notes, work for your salvation, as if to say the believers don't have salvation and they need to work to get it. The text says, work out your salvation. So as to say consistently follow the example of Christ in humble obedience. While justification is done, sanctification is ongoing. And our future college students and our future um, seminary graduate We'll know that. There are going to be difficult times in your life where, where you're not going to be necessarily with your parents anymore, right? The, the, the pressure might not be on you in the same sense that it was before. The coach might not be on the sidelines uh, uh, cheering you on. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm going to be gone for a little while. I'm in prison right now, actually. But don't stop. Don't stop pursuing the Lord. Working out your own salvation is, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. While we live in a fast-paced world where I can literally order food and order a movie from my couch, not moving a muscle. My card is already programmed into two different apps to do that. And I can do it in minutes, right? Verse uh, uh, getting up out of my chair, right, as if that was so hard, getting up out of my chair, finding my wallet, getting in the car, driving to, from Riverview to Tampa, finding a restaurant that I like, taking it back home. Oh, but first stop at Blockbuster, which doesn't exist anymore, but stop at Blockbuster to go back home and watch a movie. We can do it in seconds, right? You can also, and this has been around for a while, but you can use a microwave to cook food that maybe hundreds of years ago it would have taken a long time, Right? I can communicate with my parents that live in Missouri, and Jesse can communicate with with her parents that live in Missouri through video chat, and we can show them our son, which they love to video chat, right, uh, for good reason, whereas before, we'd have to write letters. It would take a long time. We live in an extremely fast-paced world, and let me tell you, Tampa's a little bit more fast-paced than the town I grew up in of 10,000, right? We live in an extremely fast-paced world. However, there is no shortcut in sanctification. No shortcut. None. And students, while we're often drawn to Christian mega conferences and we're influenced by uh, Christian social media influencers, Christian Instagram accounts, that is not what sustains you. It's not. They're good things, they're gifts, but it's easy to be wooed and to be excited for an event or at an event. It's much more difficult to pursue the Lord in the difficult times when no one is watching and when you don't have the same group of students that you've grown up around in the church. And for the church body, that's the same thing. It's easy to glorify God on Sundays, much more difficult when no one is watching you throughout the week. But that's what sanctification is. You've been doing well. Don't stop pursuing the Lord. One more thing I just might add to this. This working out your own salvation. The your in working out your own salvation is actually a plural your. As in, from my neck of the woods, y'all work out your own salvation. There is a personal and a corporate dynamic to this working out your own salvation. And so if I can charge our students one more time and just look at them, um, God desires and expects you to be a part of a local church body. And he's not doing that to restrain your joy, but rather to give you joy. The church is a gift from God so that you might do life with other people, so that you might encourage them, so that you might teach them, so you might be taught by them, so that you might hold one another uh, accountable, so that you might uh, serve each other with the different giftings that God has given you. So, you might bear one another's burdens. And while different Christian organizations at the college are phenomenal, they don't replace the local church that multi generational, multi ethnic, multicultural people of God on mission to serve the Lord. So, find a local church, if I can say that, and serve that church, no matter big, no matter small. It is God's gift to you. So work out your own salvation and do so with the brothers and sisters in the context of a local church. And he says so with fear and trembling. As believers, we need not have, what does this mean? As believers, we need not be terrified of God in the sense of a looming condemnation around the corner. Because we found refuge in Christ and rather we should live in awe of him. We should walk humbly in obedience to him and in submission of his will, recognizing his holiness and striving to be holy as he is holy, Hebrews 12, 14. For it is God who works in you, verse 13, follow along with me. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a lot in here and I'm gonna have to go sort of quick, but here's the most comforting truth about everything that I've just given you to work out your own salvation. God's got you. He's with you every step of the way. You are not called to obey the Lord in your own power, but in Christ's power. This is what prevents us from giving up and from uh, uh, burning out. It's God working in us. God is committed, and you'll see this in your outline, to conforming you to the image of Christ. I want to give you two verses that just back that up. God is committed to conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is perfect. God has committed you to to conforming you to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And this is what I want to talk about, to be conformed to the image of his son. He knows you and he's conforming you to the image of his son. Philippians 1, 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You are in the transition period. You're in the middle. And God will bring His work and your life to completion, and He'll do it. Lastly, before we move to the next section, for His good pleasure. And you cannot bypass that. For His good pleasure. Why does God work in our lives and through our lives? When you look at different passages of Scripture, like in the Psalms and Psalm 23, you see that the Lord would lead His people into righteousness. But we can't bypass the next line for his namesake. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and you see the gospel displayed in the first 10 verses in Ephesians chapter 2. That he has saved you so that he might put on display the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. So that he might put on display how gracious he is forever and ever. You are ultimately working out your salvation with God working through you for his good pleasure. God's goal is ultimately not our pleasure on earth, but our pleasure in him. The one true gospel is not a gospel of our personal potential, but of God's grace in us for God's glory through us. So number two, I know we're only at number two and you're probably watching your clock, but we're we're gonna be moving here. So number two, glorify God. By living as a distinct light. Glorify God by living as a distinct light. Verse 14, you'll see it here. So what does it mean to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? It, what does it look like? Well, those people who work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, as we're called to do, they do all things without grumbling or disputing. What things do we do? Every single thing without grumbling or disputing. And what's so interesting about this passage of scripture is why would he highlight grumbling and disputing? Why would he not talk about? Um, uh, don't make an idol. Like we know not to do that from Scripture, but don't make an idol. Do everything. Just don't make while you don't make an idol. Why would he not say? Do everything um, and, and watch out for pride. Now we know to do those from other scriptures, but I think the reason he's highlighting grumbling and disputing is for the very reason we already talked about: is the sanctification and is the lifelong process of you growing more like Christ. And it's a marathon and not a sprint. And in that marathon, your legs get tired. And in that marathon, you might be running by people that are mean. And in that marathon, uh, your your legs might even get out. You might get thirsty. You might want something. You might want to stop. You'll be tempted. It's a long journey. There's a lot of room to grumble. While it seemed easy at first to avoid grumbling in your walk with the Lord and in your relationship with people, over time, adrenaline wears off and problems rise up. Disappointment in people and discontentment in situations seem to wage war in our hearts to lead us to grumble and argue. So I want you to do this just for a moment think about your relationship with the Lord whether you just gave the, your life to the Lord this week, last week, last month, or 20 years ago. Think about your relationship with the Lord for a minute. How many times have you in your relationship and with the Lord grumbled or argued? Simple question, <laughs> right? But I mean, you're thinking like, okay, that, that hopefully maybe, or maybe you're just perfect and you can't be, right? Please don't be how many times out of those times that you grumbled and argued did it have a, a, an edifying purpose? How many times was it worthwhile? Point zero, 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 0.000. There might have been one time it was, right? Because you're actually arguing for something that actually mattered. It's easy to grumble and argue. The question is not, will I be tempted to complain? The question is, will I give in to the tempt- temptation to complain? And I have a key for you. I do have a key for you this morning. I can't promise a quick fix because the key is not easy, but here's the key. In the times that we're tempted to complain in our journey with the Lord because it's going to be difficult in college, we must remind ourselves of the gospel of our salvation. Tony Marita said it this way. The gospel tells us that we are far better off than we deserve to be. And considering what we deserve and what we've been given should keep us from complaining. It's easy to complain when you lose sight of the gospel and how good God has been to you. It's hard to complain when you think about the cross. So we should therefore be gathered and be unified by what unifies us, the gospel, because it is greater than what divides us green rugs or gray walls. Keep the gospel first. And he does say this that you may be blameless, verse 15 that you may be blameless and innocent as children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the reason that we are to avoid grumbling and complaining and do all things for the glory of God is because when we grumble and complain, avoiding those things, which we should do, when we grumble and complain, it's damaging to our witness. It is damaging to your witness. You ever been around someone who just complains all the time? It is miserable. And I can be honest and just say that. And I'm sure you have someone in your head, but don't shout their name out loud. It's, it's miserable. And for an unbeliever to walk around someone who constantly complains about life, even an unbeliever is like, do you not know your, your gospel story? You believe that people, because of their sin, are, are headed to Hell. Everlasting punishment and separation from the Father, and and you believe that Jesus has stepped in your place and He has bore the wrath of God in your place, so that you don't get that. You get eternity forever with Him, not by anything you've done, but by what Jesus did. Why are you complaining? Grumbling causes us to lose our distinctive Christian character, and consequently, after losing our distinctive Christian character, our effectiveness. He wants us to stick out as lights in the world. When you look at the night sky, you see a dark night sky. What illuminates the night sky? Those, the, those, those stars that distinctively stick out. They, even the moon, when it sticks out, it illuminates everything that we see. It sticks out. It's a high contrast. And when we're dominated, as you see in your, your outline, when we're dominated by disappointment and discontentment, we get distracted from the mission God has given us, and we deter others from God. I'm thinking of Facebook grumbling. The glory of the Lord doesn't sound as sweet or true from the life of one who grumbles about their life all the time. And when we go about our days with a deep rooted gratitude for what God has done for us, we look unordinary to the world, and it's good to look unordinary to the world. To be distinct is a calling of the Christian. I heard one guy say one time, keep Christianity weird. Kind of a weird way to say it, but not in the way that you withdraw from the world, by your joy in Christ, so that your circumstances don't dominate your joy, right? We just talked in Men's Breakfast yesterday. Where the Lord has placed you is not by accident. He's not surprised. He's placed you for the purpose, and the purpose is to be a missionary in that place. To not complain about the circumstances, but to proclaim Christ. And our humility, joy, patience, and perseverance will be as distinct as a bright star in the dark night sky, pointing all to the creator of both. And as you distinctly stand out, Pointing others to the Lord, you must hold fast, verse 16, to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud, this is Paul, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. With eternity in mind, the day of Christ, hold fast to the word of life. Hebrews 10:23, and it's written in your Bibles that you got as gifts. It says this: Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering, for the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. We know he'll be there with us. Hold fast to that confession. But this word hold fast doesn't just mean hold on to it for yourself. It actually means hold out as well. We're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and therefore hold fast to it so that it will fill our heart and flow out in our life and therefore hold it out. Paul wants the church, as C.J. Mahaney said, to be a proclaiming church. I can't say it better than this. Paul wants the church to be a proclaiming church, not a complaining church. It's hard, to, it's hard to proclaim how good we have it in Christ while complaining how bad we have it in the world. It's hard to do both. Number three, rejoice by rooting your joy in Jesus. Rejoice by rooting your joy in Jesus. Verse 17, even though, or even, sorry, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Okay, so that's weird language, can we just be honest? Um, but it makes sense in Paul's context. And I'm just gonna quick overview of what exactly that means. Very small version of it. You can look back in Numbers 28 verse seven and see a little bit about what the drink offering was and what its purpose was, but it was for a sacrifice to the Lord. Um, priests would sometimes pour uh, over wine over the, the altar or on the ground before the altar. And so Paul, what he is saying here, as he loves the church at Philippi and he wants it to be faithful, He's saying, I am willing to leverage my own life, to pour out my own blood as you give your lives for your Savior. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, Romans 12, 1 through 2, right? Give your life as a sacrifice. I am glad to do so. This is what's interesting about that. Basically, what Paul is saying here is the health of the church is even more important than the health of my body. The health of the church body is more important than the health of my body. And in all this, we can rejoice because we know the truth that God has told us that the gospel will will, will keep going forth. There might be hard times. There might be difficult times. There might be persecution like there was hundreds of years ago and thousands of uh, years, 2,000 years ago, right? But the gospel won't be stopped. Keep on, church. Keep on, students. You got this, but don't stop. And while it would be good to stop right there, I want to say one more thing. Will you joyfully pour out your life for God's service? Will you hold fast to the confession of your hope and hold out the message of the gospel? Will you live a life that reflects the gospel you believed in without grumbling, knowing you received better than you deserve? Will you be distinct lights in a dark world Will you seek out and be a part of a local church? An expectation of you to work out your own salvation and a blessing to you as you serve the body of Christ and are served by the body of Christ. Please leverage your life to love the low, the lost, and the least. And lead them to the Lord. And he'll be with you every step of the way. Let's pray.